0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And Dimitri Buras of TVBS. Hey, good evening. And our first stop today is the announcement by China's Customs Tariff Commission that it's suspending tariff relief on imports of 12 Taiwanese petrochemical products beginning on January the 1st. Now, the Ministry of Economic Affairs is describing the move as being regrettable and is accusing Beijing of politicising trade ahead of the January 13th election. China's Customs Office announced the sanctions on the products, saying the measure is in response to unilateral discriminatory trade restrictions by Taiwan on imports of over 2,000 Chinese products, which is in violation of ECFA. Deputy Trade Representative Jenny Young says China's announcement is classic economic coercion and out of step with international norms, while DPP Legislative Caucus Deputy Secretary-General Hong Sun Han says China's suspension of the tariff reductions is part of its election meddling strategy. Now, of course, ECFA has been part of the KMT's and the Taiwan People's Party's election campaigns, with both of those said parties advocating for a revival of the accord. KMT presidential candidate Ho Yui told reporters that China's decision to suspend its tariff reductions on select petrochemical product imports from Taiwan will hinder exchanges between the two sides and is calling for the issue to be resolved under ECFA in order to ease the impact on the relevant Taiwanese industries. And the KMT presidential candidate also said that there have been warning signs earlier this year that Beijing could impose such trade restrictions but the Tsai administration chose to ignore those signals. Meanwhile KMT vice presidential candidate Zhao shao Kung is calling on Beijing to refrain from making such moves just before the elections is also criticising the DPP for what he's calling its unwillingness to engage in direct negotiations with China and its preference to seek a resolution to the issue under the World Trade Organization framework. And speaking to reporters briefly, Zhao said he believes Taiwan stands a better chance of securing favourable trade deals under the ECFA rather than via the WTO, as the global trade body is likely to view Taiwan's ban on over 2,000 products from China as, well, simply being unfair trade practices. So, Ross, I mean... Should the government here have seen this coming if it's going to ban over 2,000 products from China?
1: Of course they should see it coming. Uh, China announced this investigation earlier in the year. Then they extended the deadline, um, making it January 12th. So they came in a few weeks before the deadline to issue the report. And it's no surprise that they selected, uh, frankly, it's a relatively small number of products to and preferential tre- products from Taiwan. And uh, Taiwan, as you said, has... Uh, a long list of products from China that are banned or face high, high tariffs. Uh, so I find some of the reaction from Taiwan government officials or even the politicians, including the opposition politicians, a bit unusual since Taiwan has enjoyed such favorable treatment on on the shipment of its manufactured goods into China for so long. I don't think this will change anyone's votes uh and uh, it's hard to be sympathetic to a few large petrochemical companies who are whose profits might somewhat be affected probably not ultimately it's probably not going to hurt the bottom line for those exporters
2: it's going to have an impact somehow the discussion about the ecfa is long overdue uh, we've heard of this and um, the especially the ruling party mentioned many times that they just uh, they had issues with the ecfa so the discussion is long overdue but now how taiwan rep- response to these suspension uh, maybe it's just the beginning but China might retaliate again if Taiwan imposes more trade bans or limitations in response to the to the this suspension so you know cross trade trade uh, hinges on the bilateral relationship so softer relations could lead to change while confrontation would impact trade so it's long overdue and it's it's time to discuss do we want to keep on the ECFA or do we want to move forward and this is a question it's timely uh, in in election uh, times it's it's the right time to discuss this issue
0: so, Ross, I mean, let me go. Dimitri's hinting at basically the DPP maybe should have started talking, but of course, we've got the DP presidential candidate going and telling everyone and all on sundry and anyone that will listen to him or publish what he says that he's the man for Taiwan's future. Well, let's be frank here. Uh,
1: if the DPP wins the presidency, then China's more likely to take such actions again in the future. And. It's just one of those policy tools or actions that China has in its toolbox if it wants to show its displeasure with the policies of the current government or the government of the day. So in a few months, it might be Lai Ching-do's government, William Lai's government um so just like persuading a country to end diplomatic relations or military exercises taking a tough stand against Taiwan's participation in international organizations another tool that china has is in the trade space and uh you know it's relatively easy right it's relatively easy to say you know, you're, you're restricting 2000 plus Products from China, so we're just going to end preferential treatment for another dozen or so uh, uh, products from Taiwan, and we should also keep in mind the very real possibility, continuing with tools in the trade space, that should William Lai win the presidency next year, that China might. Uh, at its own initiative, terminate the ACFA entirely and simply replace it with a a unilateral schedule of preferential treatment for goods or services from Taiwan. But they they don't need to do that in in the contours of a bilateral agreement if that's the route they want to go. They could just unilaterally offer preferential treatment for certain goods from Taiwan as well as services from Taiwan. And uh, it's one more way that they could show their displeasure with the policies of the Taiwan government.
0: But Dimitri, of course, the KMT and the TPP have been saying ECFA needs to be revived. And if China's doing this as the DPP claim to as a part of its election strategy just to get people to vote for certain people, surely it's backfired on the KMT and the TPP because the TPP and the KMT want this to be revived, China's messing around with it.
2: I'm not so sure because it also, after the election and pending on who is the president, uh, the, a, a potential KMT or TPP president might be able to start discussions again with China to sort these issues out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, a new DPP president might again face the same challenges because when it comes to discussing the China policy within the DPP, there is no consensus on this issue. So maybe it could be um, maybe a challenge but also an opportunity for the opposition parties now to show that they might have a solution to these issues and to have solutions, potential solutions that could benefit uh, not just big industries in Taiwan, but maybe potentially even farmers and other industries.
0: But of course, Ross, it has a question about whether Taiwan continues to trade big scale with China, because China can turn the taps off whenever it wants.
1: Well, again, as I said, uh, China could take all these unilateral actions, both for or uh, you know, both advantageous as well as disadvantageous to goods or services from Taiwan, and it's an option that they could use pretty much at any time. And, uh, it leaves Taiwan guessing. So it puts pressure on, on the Taiwan government it, and, and it, it might be a bad analogy, but to me, it's just simply similar to military exercises. You know, we never know how many Chinese aircraft are going to cross the medium, median line day to day, or how many ships are going to sail closer to Taiwan day to day and, uh, puts pressure on, on the government of Taiwan because they'll feel pressure from industry. And, uh, Frankly, if if I was an aide to Xi Jinping, I'd be telling him to expand that list and let's do this every few weeks or every few months and just put Taiwan's government in a tough spot.
0: But do you think voters will vote for the other party if that's the case? I mean, will voters flock to the KMT or the TPP because China's getting a bit bullshy?
1: No, uh, this action, uh, it's relatively small because it's it's such a short list of goods. It only affects a few large companies uh, and it's just too close to the election, I think, for it to be – uh, socialized into talking points and, and voter decisions, keeping in mind that uh, notwithstanding what, what the polls might say or even or the polls do indicate that the number of undecideds at this point is is relatively small. So I, I don't think this changes too many votes.
2: And Dimitri, changing votes or not changing votes? The impact will be limited because um, the changes will come into effect on January 1st. It will impact industries who make a lot of trade. I mean, we do we do export 30 percent of products. 30 percent of our exports still go to mainland China, but for those major, uh, maybe major factories, major groups, they might be able to move production around and even moving production back to China, to uh, to bypass those restrictions. So the impact might be. May be more limited on the short term, and then major factories and major groups might be able to bypass those restrictions by moving productions around.
0: And of course, the government, Ross, will likely say, we will help those affected companies move their shipments and exports to other countries, parts of the world.
2: Uh, the
1: joys of state subsidies for one thing or another, uh, you know, whether it's. Uh, Low interest rate financing, which is a tool that the government has provided to companies to encourage them to move manufacturing back to Taiwan. Uh, subsidizing transportation costs to other markets uh, farther afield than China, which is a tool that the government, the Taiwan government has used for uh, produce industry when they faced restrictions or, or seafood industry. Uh, so, sure, the government has the option to, to be a friend to industry. I don't think that's really what industry wants. The industry just wants to, to enjoy the same access to China that it's enjoyed up to now uh, under the ACFA.
0: Moving on now, we saw a rather feisty presidential candidate televised policy forum on Wednesday of this week. The KMT's Ho yo began by attacking the DPP's record in power, saying the Public Suffering Index has reached a new peak over the last seven years. Ho argued that economic growth had reached a historic low under the DPP, which has left 60% of the population thinking a change in government is necessary. Now, the DPP's Lai Ching De quickly accused both his opponents of employing underhanded tactics and described Ho yo accusations as simply an attempt to discredit him. While Taiwan's People Party candidate Kerwin Jue criticised the DPP for failing in the last seven years to address pressing issues, including labour shortages, land scarcity, a declining birth rate and an ageing population. And he went on to say that he firmly believes Taiwan needs change in 2024. The candidates also sparred, needless to say, on cross-strait policies. And while all three candidates talked up their respective cross-strait policies during the presentation as they seek to cases for being best positioned to safeguard Taiwan while dealing with China. Now, although the candidates largely repeated their existing China policies during the presentation, they, of course, criticised each other. Anyway, the KMT's Hou i urged the DPP's Lai Qingde to publicly renounce his pro-independence stance, arguing that voters and overseas observers remain worried about his position. Lai denied that in his response, but he also failed to address his past pro-independence comments. Lai went on to claim that the China policies of Hou i and Wen-je will eventually bring about Taiwan's unification with China. And he said the DPP's approach will ensure the status quo of the Taiwan Strait. While Kerwin-Jer said in his presentation that Taiwan must have enough defensive power to be able to negotiate with China on equal terms and dignity. And if elected, he will raise defence spending to 3% of the GDP. So Ross, disagreeing on China there, predictably enough. But I thought pro-independence comments and he couldn't deny it.
1: I think for the most part, the, this forum w- was a repetition of things that the candidates have already said. I don't think they said anything new. Uh, so the candidates uh, over recent months and weeks have periodically held uh, press conferences where they unveil their policy proposal in a certain area, whether that's uh, child care, housing justice, elder care, uh uh, Cross straits, of course, other foreign policies, defense policies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so all they had to do at this event was simply repeat what they've been saying, including some of the criticisms of of the other two candidates. Uh, so whoever it is, whoever was speaking, of course, they come prepared with some criticisms. I, I don't think that voters really paid a lot of attention to this, or that it's going to change how anyone. How anyone votes. Again, I think a lot of voters at this point have already made up their mind or are close to making up their minds. And there's nothing that's going to be said at these forums that's going to change how how any voter feels about it. Unfortunately, it's not truly a debate like we see, uh, for example, right now with the American uh, Republican Party presidential candidates. And they have a debate which gets very feisty. Uh, You call this feisty here in Taiwan, but I I don't think it reaches the level of feistiness that a true debate format has. And I think that just shows how how the candidates are quite conservative and uh, they, in a way they run scared, right? They're very scared of these kinds of events where they have to uh, think on their feet and reply quickly to accusations about their policies or their personal assets. Uh, I, I would encourage people to watch the vice president uh candidates forum which is happening today. Uh it'll it'll be on YouTube just like the presidential candidates are and, and also watch the, the remaining presidential candidates forum. But again I, I don't think it really changes how people
2: vote. Well I think the the the, the it's not exactly a debate, you're right. It's more like a, a policy presentation. But there was kind of a they were uh hitting back and forth and I I would say and Hoyo Uh, certainly exceeded expectations with a performance that caught many, I think, off guard. He took the lead as the first speaker and showed readiness to engage in the debate, standing out among the candidates. He also chose to speak in Taiwanese, so his use of the language brought a touch of authenticity and emotion to his uh, arguments. Impressively, he responded promptly to questions from Lai and co, showing that he wasn't just sticking to a pre-written script. So his ability to deviate from the script and speak extensively added a significant layer of appeal to his candidacy. So in short, I think that he's an unexpectedly articulate and well-rounded performance, especially in com- complex issues like energy policy and cross regulations was a pleasant surprise.
0: And of course, Ross, Mr. Kerr didn't say anything stupid, which is the bluntest way I put that.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, of course, he's known for his off-the-cuff remarks, which sometimes uh, perplex all 23 million people on Taiwan, probably. Uh, But that's also what his appeal is to to the voters who support him. They they like the the genuineness of Ko wen je versus uh, other politicians in in Taiwan. I I do disagree with Dimitri. I, I I don't think that uh performance was was especially notable. He, like the other two candidates, he, he really did what he's supposed to do, right? Present, present their their policy vision. But again, they were simply repeating stuff that they've already said and uh, reaching for some things that were in the news recently, like the controversy over watching the William Lai's family property in New Taipei City.
0: And we'll get there now because of course property and land ownership issues took centre stage following the presentation and they made up much of the end of this week's election war of words. Now of course DPP presidential candidate Lai Ching De pledged to transform his New Taipei family house into a miners museum. That statement comes amid criticism that the building which is located in New Taipei's One Wanli district was illegally expanded. Both the KMT and the TPP have accused Lai's family of illegally expanding the property and they've been claiming that the building should have been been torn down by the new Taipei city government many years ago. Lai has also been accused of not paying housing taxes on the property for over two decades. Now Lai said that in order to commemorate the contributions made by miners to Taiwan's economic growth over the past century, he will transfer the rights of the Wanli property to a charitable trust and prioritised turning it into a miners' museum, that being the ones that not kids, not children, miners as in coal underground miners. Now the TPB's Kerwin-Jer promised to restore an illegal parking lot that was leased to a tour bus company in Shinzu City to farmland. Now that statement comes as he's facing criticism over the property which he co-owns. Now the Shinzu City government officials this week inspected the plot, confirming that it is owned by six people and is located in a zone designated for farming and grazing land, and they said they will invest to get to determine whether the property obtained proper permission to be paved and used as a parking lot. Now, Kerr told reporters that he purchased the plot with five other doctors in 2008 and owns about one-fifth of the land. And a property owned by the KMT's Ho Yui has also been in focus, with Lai Ching De calling on him to donate his family's Kaishun Condominium on Yangminshan near the Cultural Chinese University in Taipei to charity. Ho though shot down that call, saying he has no need to donate it to anybody because it was built legally and his family is paid all income and property taxes. However, Ho's ownership of the condominium has also come under fire from elsewhere with the DPP accusing the KMT presidential candidate of well overcharging students who rent suites in the building. And according to the DPP's Hong Sun Han, rents have been increased five times, from 18,200 NT per semester to 16,000 NT per month. And the student tenants, apparently according to this DPP politician, now have to pay a total of 96,000 NT per semester to rent a suite in the building so Ross I mean as far as chucking mud goes this property but it's a bit boring really for mud chucking an election
1: well yeah I agree with you it is boring uh and also for the last example that was litigated in in the court of public opinion the first time he ran for mayor in 2018 not not last year I think because it had been so heavily litigated in 2018 um, and, and it didn't stick, right? It, you know, he still was elected mayor in 2018. I, I think it wasn't even brought up again uh, in 2022 when he ran for re-election and was, was re-elected by a, a large margin. Uh, so he's right. The building is legal. The criticism uh, from the DPP was pretty weak. You know, they They – the rooms, uh, and I believe that mo- there's some uh, multi-tenant uh, suites, and there's also single-tenant suites, or what they call tao uh, You know, taofangs. The, the, they're rented out at market rates. No one's forcing the students to live there. It's not a school-operated dorm, and if it's too expensive, then this, the, the, the students are not going to Rent rooms there and they'll, they'll look for other housing accommodations near the university. Uh, the the COENJA's jointly owned property, so we have a doctor's conspiracy now to illegally use uh, farmland as a parking lot. What's disappointing there is that, that uh, the regulatory agencies didn't notice this for all these years that the property which is zoned for farmland is is being used as as a it was paved over and being used as a parking lot for tour buses you know you got to think like public employees must have driven by there. They they must have looked at the neighboring farmlands once or twice in all these years. So it it, it, and and that's a good segue into the controversy over the William Lye property, which has been there for decades. And if it's illegal, how come the authorities didn't do anything about it? But also, uh, I'm going to be a bit critical of William Lye. If he thought that this property should be a museum to the contribution of coal miners, in Taiwan over over the decades and when mining was still an industry in the area, why didn't he propose earlier that this building be turned into a museum? Why is he only proposing it now when questions are being asked about uh, the proper proper zoning and, and permitting and taxes, et cetera, et cetera? That's a bit disappointing. Uh, William Lai has been a public figure for decades already. If you really thought that, it, this property was worthy of being a museum. Why didn't he propose this earlier?
2: Dimitri? Uh, Lai's refusal to acknowledge the illegal status of his uh, construction uh, is not something new. Uh, many people in Taiwan face the same problem because they added an extension to the balcony and a second extension to the balcony, and then they built an extra uh, the, an apartment on the rooftop of the building. So, but... The problem is, um, it's about bending the laws for influential individuals, and that's something um, it doesn't look right in in, in in the election. The land administration bureau's favorable interpretation for lies highlights a reluctance to apply laws uniformly, especially against powerful figures. And lies pass as a Tainan mayor marked by enforcing demolitions, starkly contrast with his current stance on his own property, undermining his credibility and campaign. At the same time, when it comes to Ko the big question is, why would Ko, a doctor and a former Taipei mayor, buy farmland only to convert it into a parking lot, hinting at speculative motives? The issue isn't unique to Ko, however, it points out to a broader problem where politicians like Ko and the others intertwine their interest in land and their political power. Despite this recent pledge to restore the farmland, critics stressed that Cole's true motive was just profit, not the protection of the farmland, raising questions about his integrity as well.
1: Yes, it certainly goes to the integrity of of these gentlemen if they were doing something illegal. uh, They probably didn't think anyone would care. Who, Who would care about a small... Uh, property, a uh, you know, small patch of agriculture land that's been paved over and turned into a, a parking lot for larger, larger tour buses. Um, that doesn't make it right. It's just uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And I suppose you could say the same thing about the, the Lai family building as well, you know, which is not a large building. Even if it has illegal extensions, it, it, ultimately, it's still a very small property. I will add, though, from the photos that were in, in the newspapers, it has some very nice landscaping uh, on the side, and in the. It seems to have a nice backyard as well. Uh, it looks like a nice place to enjoy a weekend, maybe get away from uh, you know, the hubbub of Taipei, uh, but uh, there aren't any victims here. That doesn't make it right. Um, and again, I think it's disappointing that they didn't come, neither Co or Lai came clean on these things when they first became public figures. They're only, quote unquote, coming clean and, and proposing alternatives and, and remediation when the media has exposed uh, that both properties are, are probably, uh, probably have some level of illegality to them.
0: Just you see any more of this happening, Ross, with certain maybe controversial issues about certain candidates coming out closer to the election?
1: Well, the vice presidential candidates have faced questions about uh, nationality as well as their assets. Uh, so either one or both apply to you know, either nationality questions or assets questions seem to apply to to all three. Uh, it's kind of like a Venn diagram. you know, you've got to figure out which candidate is being accused of what wrongdoing. Uh, I think the public is used to this kind of stuff, though, because it's always an aspect of uh, – Taiwan elections, where a candidate is accused of uh, some kind of impropriety with their assets, or if they had a previous job in government, if, for example, if they were previously a mayor, then they get accused of uh, some faults in municipal administration, whether it's corruption or uh, not doing what the, the governments are supposed to do. Uh, so it's just part of elections. Uh, at this point, since it's so close to the election, I, I'm not sure if. This will cause any candidate to bleed votes. I mean, are people going to give up on William Lai? If someone who supports William Lai today, are they going to give up on him? Because of this little building, in, 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 which frankly is kind of in the middle of nowhere in, in New Taipei, uh, I doubt it.
0: And, Dimitri, do you think this swaying voters of voters are just going to be blase about it and go, they're just politicians?
2: these are short term issues. Uh, We'll move to new ones next week. Political parties have mentioned these topics for some time already. They need something new. I'm looking forward now to maybe the vice presidential policy presentation tonight. Uh, There will be a conversation, I believe, in in Chinese, but also maybe uh, in Taiwanese and English. So maybe that will bring maybe new topics of discussion for next week.
0: And Ross, if you say, if you had to say before you've seen it, who do you think is going to come out best this evening in the vice presidential policy presentation?
1: Well, Zhao, Zhao Shao Kahn, the, the uh, Chinese Nationalist Party or Kuomintang vice pres- presidential candidate, is an experienced program host. You know, people watch his show not necessarily – because they agree with his political views, although many watch it for that reason, uh, because of the, because the show is quite biased, and I think he reveals that by being uh, by becoming the Kuomintang's vice presidential nominee. No one could at this point. No one could say his show was unbiased. Uh, in fact, that whole network is biased. Uh, but. Um, the, he's he's a great speaker, and uh, he's used to reacting quickly to what guests on his program say, and carrying along a conversation, and not reading uh, all the time from notes. Uh, and the other two vice presidential candidates don't simply don't have that kind of that level of public speaking experience. So uh, I'd be surprised if if Jao does a bad job in this event. And then the other two candidates have have their strengths. Uh, I would expect Beakum Xiao, Xiao Meiqin, to discuss her achievements uh, in Washington, D.C. as Taiwan's de facto ambassador. And I would expect... uh, Um, Ms. Wu from the Taiwan People's Party to discuss uh, her own experience in both in industry as well as uh, a lot of the philanthropic activities that she's been involved with over the years. And uh, she also just came back from COP28, so maybe she'll talk about that.
0: And in some more election news for this week, Ker wen wife Peggy Chen has joined the election fray. That, after Ker's campaign team, was accused of exaggerating the number of people who attended a rally in Tainan. Now, the TPP said more than 10,000 people attended the event. However, political pundit Zhang Yushuan took to Facebook, claiming that the TPP rally was held in a popular shopping district and pedestrians and shoppers were counted as Ker supporters. While another political pundit, Li Hao, posted an aerial photograph of the rally on Facebook, saying despite claims that 50,000 supporters attended the rally there were only about 4,420 there. Now Peggy Chen was quick to defend her husband saying he's at a disadvantage regarding media coverage and she went on to say that she didn't really take what the pundits were saying too seriously. Now all that took place Days before. The Taiwan People's Party accused FTV, that being Formosa Television, of editing out part of presidential candidate Kerwin Jer's remarks during Wednesday night's televised platform presentation. Now, TPP spokesman Vicky Chen says the alleged editing occurred on FTV's YouTube channel, which live streamed the event, and the missing 44 seconds occurred when Kerr was criticizing the DPP for failing to fulfill his goal of building 200,000 social housing units in eight years and touting his own achievement in providing such when he was Taipei mayor. And according to the Thai TPP spokeswoman, the incident represents a failure to report an important political event that could shape Taiwan's future in a balanced and fair manner. Now, FTV was quick to deny the accusations with the head of the broadcaster's internet division saying the missing section was likely due to a lag when YouTube was receiving data packets being uploaded to the station. And that official went on to insist that the incident was a misunderstanding and definitely not a result of covert editing. So we got TPP Ross there facing allegations of overestimating or over-exaggerating their crowd numbers and allegations that FTV meddled in the presentation.
1: Well, this close to the election, uh, I I could believe that 5,000 people or even 10,000 people showed up at a rally for Coenja. Uh, It's it's certainly plausible that that many people were there. And, uh, yeah, it's also plausible that shoppers walking by made the crowd look a bit larger than uh, the number of people who who are actually there just for a cause opposed for for shopping. And wh- when it comes to the media coverage, uh, frankly, Koenje is at a disadvantage because there's media that are biased for the Democratic Progressive Party. And there's media that's biased for the Chinese Nationalist Party. And there aren't really many media. There aren't really many radio stations or TV stations that you could say is the pro TPP uh, station or newspaper. There might be some hosts on the radio or TV who seem partial to the TPP, but they don't really have a captive uh, TV station or, or radio station the way the Nationalist Party and the T- Democratic Progressive Party have and have had for a long time. Uh, so, uh, you know, Miss Chen, uh, P- Peggy Chen, uh, spouse, uh, she's correct. That, uh, there, there is some bias coverage against uh, Cohenja, and And uh, th- that means it's just up to the TPP to do better. They got to work harder to get their message out, whether that's through rallies or they have an on- online, they have their own TV station that, and they've added a lot of content in, in recent days in the lead up uh, to the election. But uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair to the TPP, they do face uh, a very uh, unwelcoming media environment.
0: And of course, Dmitry... Your mob, so to speak, don't really like Mr Kerr anyway, but, I mean, do you think these accusations against FTV are maybe a bit much, and it was simply a mishap?
2: Well, we we can argue endlessly about who is biased and who is not. But the Central Election Commission addressed this concern yesterday, saying that regarding the commercial interruption during the previous day presidential television debate, said that, well, you can watch the entire event without interruption on their social media, on their website. So, yes, commercial interruption happened on different uh, news stations, but it doesn't mean that it's biased or more biased. We should also... I think be careful when we make those comments. Yes, there are different types of programs. You have debates, those um, but when it comes to news uh, I, I do hope that maybe viewers would just do the math themselves and just saying that this one is more biased than the other, I'm not so sure. The problem that actually Koenjo faces is he doesn't have the same resources than other the other two candidates. He's, he's He's uh, heading a very new party and he doesn't have enough resources and enough people to engage with the media. And even the way he engaged with the media, the way he maybe he present himself, maybe there are flaws in the way he's uh, promoting himself. Like yesterday, uh, yesterday last time he pre compared himself to Zhang Jinguo or Zheng Tinnan. So he used these comparisons to attract media attention. Now, this is a new for for Wenzhe. He's known for drawing powers between himself and leaders like Yongzhen or Mao Zedong, or like projecting a grand self-image. Mm-hmm. And he uses these analogies to underscore qualities like diligence and anti-corruption, even though they often miss the mark in death and understanding. So his latest comparisons, including liking the DPP to the Gs with order, have been criticized and overly, as overly simplistic and somewhat just nonsense so he should maybe also be more careful when he uh address the media and he promotes himself and his party but if he doesn't do it right it's maybe too easy to maybe blame others and especially the media it's very convenient so oh, you guys are more biased well he should be maybe re- review his strategy first
1: FTV is not looking so good in this, though. Yeah, their their excuse that, well, there there was a delay in uploading the packet, so it's YouTube's fault or the Internet's fault. Uh, I I don't think a lot of people are buying that because it it was one of the key criticisms that Ko was making uh, during that portion of the discussion uh, about the lack of progress in in building what what we call in Taiwan social housing or in other places is called public housing. Uh, And it just... Mysteriously disappeared uh, from that that section uh, of the program. Uh, It it doesn't just doesn't make FTV look good. And keeping in mind that this is a a, not just biased, I would say very biased uh, television network in favor of the DPP.
0: And moving on from the elections now, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs this week was busy touting what it described as the widespread support Taiwan received from diplomatic allies and other countries of the COP28 in Dubai. Now, Environment Minister Fu Sheng says the government sent more attendees to the COP28 than any other of the previous UN climate change summits. Taiwan, of course, was not invited to attend the UN climate summit, but the environment minister has said that the government sent quite a few attendees, and those attendees included representatives from NGOs, academia, industry, government ministries and lawmakers. Now, according to the minister, members of the delegation held 46 bilateral meetings with representatives of 35 like-minded countries and two international organisations. However, Taiwan People's Party lawmaker and vice-presidential candidate Cynthia Wu was less upbeat about the whole occasion, accusing the foreign ministry of being at fault for a legislative delegation she was part of being denied entry to official COP28 events. Now, the ministry denied that allegation, saying that she ignored its advice to keep a low profile at the event and her attempts to politicise it, well, led to the issue. And, well, there you go. China also complained, Ross, apparently, because it said people, countries, were acting unacceptably at the event, talking about Taiwan's participation.
1: Those who've heard me on ICRT before, read my newspaper column, know that I call this the pity party events, where whether it's the World Health Assembly every year in May, uh, other international organizations or events, forums, including COP28. uh, Taiwan likes to have these sideline events, so they send a bunch of people from government Academia, industry, lawmakers, and then afterwards, Taiwan brags about how many people came to the pity party event. They patted Taiwan on the back and said, "It's too bad you weren't in the big event. You weren't in the in the adults event, but uh, we're here to express our pity for you and how how sorry we are that you couldn't go to the big event." Meanwhile, none of these countries ever boycott the main event because uh, to show their support for Taiwan. So. But, No one says, I'm not going unless Taiwan is is allowed in uh, under some status, whether observer or other status. So the Ministry of Foreign Affairs could be excited about the 35 countries who came to their pity party, uh, but the result is the same. Taiwan is not part of the main event to be fair to taiwan and to look at this from another perspective uh, and including under the current government uh, there's been a lot of policies implemented or policy vision that's yet to be implemented but still aligned with some of the things that they discuss at cop28 such as re- reducing uh, you know, dirt, the use of dirty energy. Uh, obviously, the Thai government has been quite committed to that. Quite committed to increasing the amount of renewables uh, that that is used in Taiwan. I, I disagree with the the no nuclear power policy of this government, uh, since nuclear is considered a type of clean energy. Uh, but Taiwan does have its achievements, and they could proclaim those at, at COP28 at the at the pity party events. But ultimately, I, I think uh, no one really cares because th- it wasn't part of the main event.
0: And what about the TPP vice presidential candidate?
1: Well, uh, as I understand it... Uh, she was not allowed into certain of the main events because Taiwan is simply not allowed. This is a UN event and Taiwan is uh, under no circumstance gets to participate in a a UN event. I think some of the criticism that that the government is throwing back at her is is also unfair because the government has to realize, you know, instead of proclaiming the success of the pity party events, I think the government needs to be a little more realistic and, and say, you know, we're, we're just not allowed into the main events. That, and unfortunately, that, that included the lawmaker delegation from Taiwan. They cannot get passes into the main events. And if if they somehow did get passes, as you alluded to, Gavin, then the Chinese delegation is going to make a lot of noise and those passes will be revoked.
0: And, Dimitri, so the government touting success at COP28 and, of course, Ross once again using his phrase, the pity party.
2: Well, they just... uh, Well, the DPP candidate just follow exactly the DPP strategy and trying to just to get media attention... Uh, by by trying to get into the COP28 uh, main event. Uh, what I found really awkward is that the way the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, responded to her attempt to get media exposure. Uh, it's, it, she's a legislator, and she's entitled, like other legislators, to travel and trying to join those international events, and we shouldn't even blame her for just trying. Uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs should not be part of the presidential election campaign. They don't have to comment on what legislators and uh, what especially a vice presidential candidate is trying to do. She failed, yes, but we knew before she left, we all knew that she would fail. But, um, I mean, attacking her and, and uh, using this 900-word Chinese character Long a piece to criticize her, I think that was that was that was not necessary.
0: Ross, do you think that was a part of the election?
2: Certainly, and the the DPP
1: as a party and, and that includes the government, they have an intense dislike for koenjo and by extension Koenjo's running mate, Cynthia Wu, uh, and it manifests itself in various ways um, during the presidential election campaign uh, season um this is just one more way that they they're making a a, a partisan uh, argument and, and frankly it's it's a partisan attack on 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 Koenjo's running mate
0: but of course it was the ministry of foreign affairs that did it isn't there something initially wrong with that ross
1: well they, the, the, I, I guess mofa would say we did the best we can to get the access that we were able to have uh to meet various governments or ngos as you mentioned earlier Um, So I guess MOFA wants a big pat on the back for doing a great job with the pity party events, and they don't want to be criticized uh, for the legislators' inability to enter the main events.
2: Yeah. Well, we cannot blame her for ruining this pity party.
0: And before we go this week, and this one is a request, this story, Ross Feingold requested this story because apparently McDonald's this week hiked the prices of some of its items on its menu. And apparently Ross was rather perturbed about this. Why were you perturbed about this, Ross?
1: Well, I think all consumers uh, should be perturbed, especially if they're McDonald's customers. Uh, It does show that uh, inflation is still with us. It also shows that... Corporates uh, have to make their profits, which is understandable. But uh, McDonald's, after the local operators bought the business from headquarters uh, around 2017, if I recall correctly, to be fair, I think they've made a lot of great innovations at McDonald's. The uh, payment stations, once you figure out how to use them, are very good. And it's not that difficult compared to some other restaurants that have those kinds of stations. Uh, And it was certainly useful during covid Um, They've introduced a lot of new things to the menu that appeal to the local taste instead of just following all the time with with what uh, is done at corporate headquarters. But I would expect there to be some... Uh, blowback from this. Uh, McDonald's is hugely, hugely popular in Taiwan. There's even stuff that a, a vegetarian like me could eat um, or drink at, at McDonald's. Uh, so I expect there to be some angry consumers. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not one of its competitors, like a Burger King, Subway, Moss Burger, uh, announced their new budget menu t- as a way to steal some customers
2: from Mickey D's.
0: And Dimitri, will you be popping off to McDonald's to pay more for your food?
2: Well, when we compare the food quality here with the food quality of other McDonald's around the world, we kind of hap- we're kind of happy for some of the, not maybe the, the happy meal, but um, the food quality is there. Um, the, the The price reflects the increasing cost. So I would maybe expect competitors to increase their prices as well. They will maybe spend the first few weeks to see how it goes but if customers follow and they keep going to mcdonald's it's very likely that competitors will just increase their price as well because the 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 cost and the cost of ingredients everything is increasing
0: and of course, Ross. Of course, McDonald's might have put it prices up, but the public, yeah, a bit blase about this. But when the night markets start putting their prices up, there's nearly a riot.
1: <laughs> the natives will be restless, Kevin. Uh But but those prices have increased in, uh, increased as well. It's very it's very interesting though. You, you bring up a, a good point: how how the, those price increases get uh, socialized to the public. So McDonald's or the other big corporate names. You know, they, they could change their electronic signboards, boards, uh, whereas at the night market, they just put a little sticker over the original <laughs> price, right? They handwrite the new price and just tape it over the original printed side, and uh, there you go. <laughs>
0: And that's where we have to leave it this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. And Dimitri Budas. It was great to be here. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you get access to all our previous shows.